Hello and welcome to My Myasthenia, a podcast all about this crazy disease we call myasthenia gravis. I'm your host, Jesse, and I want to thank you all for tuning in. So let's go ahead and dive right in to today's episode of My Myasthenia. All right, everyone, welcome back. I hope you all had a great week. Today we are back with another incredible interview this time not only with a fellow MG community member, but she's also a clinical therapist who has some amazing information that she shared with all of us. So I'm super grateful that she was willing to share her story and some advice for us on coping with a chronic illness. But before we get into the interview, let's touch base once again on our little challenge and see how you were with sharing MG. I got some really great feedback from the last episode that you guys were saying you were able to spread awareness and I just want to encourage you to keep going. We're about halfway through the month, just a little over. We still have a a week or so to go. If you don't remember, again, June is MG Awareness Month. So we're trying to spread awareness with at least one person each day share whatever you feel like sharing with them explain the disease to them whatever you want to do so we have one more full week and then we'll touch base again on the next episode and that will probably be our last of the june awareness check-ins feel free to spread awareness however you can you know for seven more days let's see how well you do i'll check back in with you in a few days so let's go ahead and jump into the interview. I want to let you know there there are two different parts to this one. The first is where our guest, Michelle, she shares her ongoing uh, battle with a relatively new diagnosis of MG. And then in the second half of you know the interview, she starts to go over her therapy background and she's covering some some of the things that she would implement with a patient who might be struggling with a chronic illness. So she's going to go over that with us. And for the record, the goal of her sharing that information isn't necessarily for it to be a therapy session, but more of giving you some information that you might expect to receive if you were to have reached out to a therapist on your own. So I know some people might be a little bit afraid to uh, reach out and receive mental health assistance. So hopefully this will give you the confidence of hearing what she might cover with her patients and that might help you to reach out on your own and and seek out therapy, which is always a great thing to do. Even if your disease is completely under control, I we all highly recommend it. It's a great thing to do just to talk to somebody else who can help you cope with uh, what it is you're going through. So hopefully you enjoy this episode. Again, we're super grateful she was able to make some time in her busy schedule and uh, share this information with you. So hopefully you all enjoy. I'll check back in at the end of the interview, but let's jump right into episode five, our interview with Michelle. All right. So good morning, Michelle. How are you doing? I am all right. Awesome. (laughs) Well, first of all, I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to join us on the podcast. I know you're pretty busy, so I really do appreciate you wanting to share your story and joining us. So thank you. Oh, goodness. It's no problem. It's been just so challenging for me to learn more about the disease and stuff. So if this can help somebody, I'm happy to help. So part of this was that I just want people to be able to tell their stories with MG or how they got to this point. So if you're ready, you want to just start from the beginning and tell us your story? Sure. Yeah, that's uh, I think it's a really honorable thing that you're doing. And I think one of the biggest things I've learned about myasthenia is that it's rare and there's not much research and probably because it's so rare in the population there's also not much support so we're sort of it feels a little bit like on an island of an mg island right (laughs) right i guess how it started i'll say when i started to really notice but i think it actually started sooner than that and maybe i'll explain a little after i started what i consider really the main beginning so in about december 2021 
I got sick with something. They thought maybe it was COVID. I never tested positive, but I got sick with something with those kinds of symptoms. And I was sick and got into bed and I stayed there. Really, at this point, haven't quite gotten out of bed today, but I was sick and it was just going on and on and on. And finally, I went to one of the hospitals in the city. I live in the country and I thought I had pneumonia because I couldn't breathe. And it didn't really feel like pneumonia because I've had pneumonia a bunch of times, but I thought, well, what else could it be? So they did x-rays and they did a spinal tap and they did all this stuff. And finally, the doctors were like, we have no idea what's wrong with you. But I had been there for almost 24 hours at that point and I couldn't move. Like my muscles didn't work. I couldn't move my arms. I couldn't move my legs. And my face was like sagging on one side. It was like frozen. And so they transferred me to one of the tertiary hospitals in the city near me. and. That's where they do all the fancy surgeries and have all the fancy doctors. So they transferred me there and uh, a team of, oh my God, there must have been six neurologists, including some residents, did a big workup and they thought, well, it's certainly neurological. So I get admitted to this unit and I was there for two weeks and it took them about a week to figure out it was probably myasthenia gravis. And a lot of other scary things got ruled out, which was nice. But I had never even heard of it. And I worked in a hospital for the better part of 10 years, and I had never heard of myasthenia gravis. So they started IVIG, and that got me from not even being able to move, basically, to being able to walk with a walker, but I had, I got aseptic meningitis from the IVIG and they thought I was having a stroke and cause that headache and it was really, really terrible. So that was really scary, but at least I got myself out of the hospital, but I hadn't really recovered. Like I was basically able to like walk with a walker and they wouldn't let me discharge unless I had all the equipment in the house. So then I was out of the hospital for just a few weeks and then right back in, in another crisis. Uh, mm. And by that time, my blood work had come back to confirm that I have the, that acetylcholine myasthenia because there's the different right. types. Right. So yeah, back in the hospital, tried IVIG again. And then when I was leaving, the, they were going to discharge me, but then they realized all my white blood cells had disappeared. And that's a really rare, I guess, reaction to IVIG, but it happens. So the hematologist from cancer care came down and said, like, you can't have IVIG anymore unless you're going to die. And there's no other option because we can't exist without white blood cells. But even then, like I wasn't functional at all. I mean, I could use my walker and whatever. And I'm 39 years old. That feels pretty young to need a walker and stuff. Right. So then I was out of the hospital for another, you know, month or whatever, and then back in again. And this time they did plasmapheresis was like infinitely better results than IVIG. So I got a week of walking with the walker, walking without the walker, feeling much stronger. And then I got my third COVID vaccine mm -hmm. and I've basically been back in bed for a month. Oh my <laughs> so, gosh. Yeah. But so that is when it really became something I couldn't ignore mm -hmm. was when I got whatever that was in December. But what I've come to realize is the first symptoms that typically manifest, as far as I can tell from what I'm reading, are ocular symptoms. And over the summer last summer, I, I started noticing my eyes were blurry. I had double vision. Nighttime was really bad. I have astigmatism, so I've never been real good for driving at night, but I, it was like I cannot focus or see at all. Right. And uh, yeah, so I think actually when I started having symptoms was in the summer, but I thought I needed new glasses. So yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. Wow. So this is kind of recent for you too, as far as yeah. the MG part of everything. Absolutely. So, 2022 has been uh, a real <laughs> catastrophe as far as my health is concerned. Hey. And that's saying a lot. Yeah. Like, I wasn't like a super well person right. before that. I've got about a baker's dozen autoimmune disorders and Jeez. I have had a long and sordid history with the medical system in terms of surgeries and all kinds of stuff. Right. I mean, it wasn't like I was running marathons before <laughs> MG, but 
I was, I own a clinic uh, for like mental health therapy and it's on, it's up a flight of stairs and I was still going up and down the stairs and going to the clinic and driving and doing all kinds of stuff before the MG really took hold. And now I'm working from home yeah. and my associates are in the clinic, but yeah, this has been just a, a kind of a nightmare. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of been mine as well. It just kind of came out of nowhere and it just kind of threw your life up in the air and said, well, now we're just got to figure out what we're doing. So it is crazy how quickly it comes on and just can affect you. Something like you said, you've never heard of it before. I'd never heard of it before either. And now all of a sudden yeah. it's taken control of my whole life, I know. So, wow. right, Yeah, it's my entire life is specialist appointments. And after that second admission, I, ha I had a pureed diet for mm -hmm. six weeks because I couldn't swallow. Yeah. And I was going nuts. I was like, if I have to eat another bowl of soup, I'm going to kill somebody. I am straight up going <laughs> to murder if I have to eat more soup. I know. I was in the same boat for a while. It was like you just crave chewing and yeah. it was awful. Awful. So I wanted to talk about your job a little bit later because I think there's a lot that can be helpful for people. But you did also mention that you think there were some things that may have turned on the MG, like maybe made it worse with the stress and everything. Do you think yeah. that you've narrowed down on something that could have possibly started this all or at least made the symptoms flare up for you last summer? Well, I had, so I got my first and second COVID vaccine and I had trouble with medication and things in general. And so I got very, very ill after each of those. Mm -hmm. And what, from what I've read, it was, it, it's like trauma mental or trauma physical can be uh, precipitating factors for the MG kind of turning on. But on top of that, running the clinic and stuff, it, w it was exceptionally stressful and I didn't have admin support at the time. Mm -hmm. And you've had some correspondence with Superstar Bonnie, mm -hmm. who's my, oh, yeah. who I, I honestly would not be alive today without her, I mm -hmm. don't think, because I was going to have a nervous breakdown. I mean, I was working basically seven days a week, every week to get all the admin and also see the patients. And so... Yeah, it was very, very, very stressful. Like, not that I don't find the work I do isn't stressful, but like mm -hmm. all the paperwork and corruption that happens. Mm -hmm. And so dealing with all of that stuff and COVID, right? Like doing homeschooling with the kids and mm -hmm. we got lots of kids in this house. And it was, I think the COVID stress actually put everybody's baseline of stress a lot higher than a lot of people realized. Because what I'm noticing, not just for myself, but in like, I talk to like five patients a day, usually four or five, you know, that sort of as things have started to I don't know if we can call it get back to normal because I don't know if there's ever going <laughs> to be any such thing as normal again. But yeah. people are really noticing like, wow, I was not okay and I'm not feeling very great now in terms of anxiety. So I think we were all just amped up from that. Mm -hmm. So we were all at maybe more vulnerable to having MG turn on. Right. And then all the life stressors around that and and then getting the vaccines and getting really ill from that. So it was like, mental and physical trauma, I'm sure that those were those were factors yeah. in, in turning on. From what I can read, the mind-body connection is really undeniable. When we have mental, emotional, you know, stress, that affects our immune system. And yeah. so anything that affects the immune system affects autoimmune disorders. Right. And I know that they say that autoimmune diseases come in pairs, they, they come yes. together. And like you said, you, you have a number of them. So you're already more susceptible to this kind of thing. And yes. the added stress obviously doesn't help. So that's, it's kind of interesting yeah. that you think you can narrow down on onto yours. So what kind of treatments are you doing now? I know that you said that mm -hmm. the plasmapheresis was helping. Do they have you on Mestinon and those kinds of things? Or? Yes. So I'm on a Celsept, those big okay. horse pills, mm -hmm. mycophenolate. Mm -hmm. So I take three of those in the morning and three of those at night. And they've also got me on prednisone. Oh my God, prednisone. <laughs> it's the worst. So 
It is the worst. Like my rheumatologist says it's the best worst drug there is. That's mm-hmm. how he how he kinds of explains it. Yep. It's and I was on a higher dose before, but one of the things that happens for a lot of people is it creates like emotional chaos. And so I I think on my last admission, I had like I'm not going to say a, a complete nervous breakdown, but I was not okay. Mm. It was, and getting the central line put in was very traumatic. I yeah. mean, I don't know how they do it in other places, but where I live, you're lying down, they tell you to like turn your head and they're jabbing into your neck. <laughs> Meanwhile, you've got this plastic sheet on top of your face. Yep. So you can't breathe and you already can't breathe because you're in myasthenia crisis. Yep. So basically for at least an hour, you feel like you're drowning. And I, that was completely traumatic for me. I've, I have, I have PTSD from a number of things, but yeah. really it's complex PTSD. And so after that, they had to put me on an SSRI now and they decreased my prednisone. So mentally, like by the time I was discharged, I was I was much better. But yeah, so I have a, a lower dose of prednisone. I'm on Mestinon three times a day and uh, I'm on. Um, so here's something. A lot of the things that we go through in MG the treatments, the tests, just the loss of functionality, the impacts that has on our lives can be traumatic. And if people are having, developing PTSD, having nightmares about specific things that happen. So there's maybe we can say there's two types of nightmares. There's nightmares of like being attacked by Klingons, which is like not something that Mm -hmm. that actually could happen. (laughs) Right. It's just your brain being really creative and terrible at the same time. And then there's nightmares about things that happen to you, which may be embellished, but it's like, this is something that genuinely happened to me. So I was having nightmares about the central line. And one of them, they like cut my head off. Like, obviously that didn't happen, but like the the premise of the, the nightmare was accurate. And so there's a medication that they can give you called Prazosin, and it was developed for blood pressure. But what they found is it stops PTSD nightmares. That has been a godsend because I'm not having nightmares about any of the treatments or the process or any of the, you know, I mean, it's a real grieving process when you get MG because it's like you have all these plans and all of these things. And for me, I had been in awful pain from, I have psoriatic arthritis, which is people, I think it's like 35% of people with psoriasis have psoriatic arthritis which is like inflammation in, in the joints. And so I, I was in absolute agony. And then I got, I, I had to take all of these steps to get a biologic injection. You have to try all these pills that don't work. And then mm. I had latent tuberculosis. So I had to get treated for my latent tuberculosis, which is like a 10 week course of, you have to show up at the hospital once a week for 10 weeks and take a mitt full of pills antibiotics to treat this TB. And so, but that you can't have biologics or any immunosuppressants really, unless you treat your latent TB, because then of course you could get active TB, which would not be good. So yeah, it it took, it was like a two year process of, by the time it was, the symptoms were sort of like, I can't ignore this anymore to, to getting TALTS injections was two years. And it was last summer that I finally got to get my TALTS injections. And so it was like November, I was doing so much better. And then I get this, whatever it was, this flu or maybe it was Mm -hmm. COVID, maybe it wasn't. I don't know. I never tested positive, but who knows? And it was like, okay, now you get MG. So, I mean, mercifully, there really isn't any pain associated with MG. It's weakness. And people do develop pain from what I can read from the loss of mobility and how if you overdo it or people can develop pain secondary to MG, but MG doesn't cause any pain. That's a small mercy. And thank goodness for the TALTS because now I'm not really in pain I mean, I've got terrible osteoarthritis in my neck, but I take a medication for that. And, you know, the, like I said, I'm not, I was not a well person, so I'm not really in any pain. It's just I'm 39 years old. I can't drive uh, right now because you can't rely on your arms to hold the steering wheel and right. your feet to push the pedals and yep. to turn your head to shoulder check. It's sort of not a great, especially because most of my high, most of my driving is on the highway because I live in the country, okay. which is another thing. 
people who live rurally, like I don't, I can't get, take public, public transit. I am very lucky that my husband can accommodate taking me to all these appointments. I'm very lucky to have a supportive partner. I can tell you without any worry about being wrong that if I was still with my ex-husband, I would not be getting any help right now. I would be, (laughs) I wouldn't be going to any doctor's appointments. It would be, uh, it would be terrible. So I have a really good supportive partner and he takes me to all my appointments. He makes food for me because I can't stand up and cook. He brings me my pills. He brings me coffee. Like he has been, we take our vows for better, for worse in sickness than in health. And I really give him a room for his money on this uh, in sickness part of it anyway. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, but, and I'm in a, in a jurisdiction that has home care supports that are free. Like I live in Canada. I, I think you're in the States, eh? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So in Canada, that's the other thing. I haven't had to pay for anything. I mean, other than the medication, but in we have a provincial program called Pharmacare. So they take your income tax and you get a, a Pharmacare deductible, which means if you spend X number of dollars on medications in a year, after that, the province pays for it. So my medications are, and I have like supplemental health insurance on top of that. So we're getting medications for low cost and I get home care coming in every day of the week for nothing. And my doctor's appointments cost nothing. So, I mean, really the only financial burden from that respect is the loss of income from all the time in the hospital. And Mm -hmm. I've had to significantly decrease my patient load to to accommodate my fatigue, you know, fatigability, right? That's the buzzword for myasthenia. We have fatigability of our muscles. And what I'm noticing is the stress of all of this has given me more like uh, mental fatigability. And for the kind of job I have, I need to be on, like I need to be 100% there. You know, this is that person's appointment with their therapist and you, you can't sort of phone it in. So yeah, that that's one thing. I've decreased my patient load so I can be there 100% for the ones that I do get to see. But of course, that is a loss of income. Yeah. Well, absolutely. I mean, yeah, the financial burden, at least for me in the States, it hasn't been horrible. But I just looked at my insurance and within the last three months when this kind of all started, They've billed my insurance three quarters of a million dollars so far. Yeah. It's insane. I, I mean, bet. luckily, <laughs> I don't even pay a fraction of that. Luckily, I have insurance, but it's crazy. It, I, I don't know how people would do it without insurance, at least here. It's just, it's awful. Yeah. So you've touched on it multiple times. And I really, when I started talking to you, I was fascinated by your job. You're a therapist. And I kind of wanted to see if we could get you to give the community some advice on, you know, obviously we've talked about how much of a hassle MG and even any other disease, chronic illness, anything can be, how much of a drain that can be. Do you have any advice or tips or anything like that to the community on coping with something like MG? Absolutely. I can help with that. So I would say there are really five things that all of us need to pay attention to and be vigilant for to try and make sure we're enjoying the best possible mental health that we can muster. And I guess the first thing I want to say is going through this, it is normal to feel crazy (laughs) through this process. Mm -hmm. We are not meant to endure things like this and be fine. If people go through this and they're fine, that would be the weird thing. It is okay to not be fine as you watch your independence and your mobility evaporate and go through the stress of all the appointments and the pain of the procedures. It is normal to not be okay during this process and pathology to be a bit depressed or a bit anxious, even having the odd nightmare, like it is normal. And I think what I hear a lot is people start having symptoms and then they start to get worried about the symptoms, which only then amplifies the symptoms, right? So I think reminding yourself that it's okay not to be okay when things are not okay is number one. And so the five things we need to pay attention to is the first one is being really proactive about treating the physical illness. 
if you had other stuff going on physically that you were sort of ignoring. And I think for a lot of us, that's probably the case because like you had already mentioned, autoimmune disorders tend to travel in packs. And so it, it, some of them are easier to ignore than others. Now, MG is just not one you can really ignore because you stop being able to breathe and move. So it makes a compelling argument to go figure out what's wrong, which leads me to make sure you've got good specialists for all the things that are wrong. A general practitioner, a family doctor, is not equipped to deal with all of the things. A lot of family, like a lot of doctors that I've spoken to haven't even heard of myasthenia gravis really. Maybe they got a primer on it in med school or something, but like they don't have any patience with it. And in the hospital, they told me, so I live in Manitoba in Canada, and there's only about 50, maybe or 100 people in Manitoba that have myasthenia gravis. It's, It's really rare. They don't come across it. They're not very familiar with it. And there is one neurologist who specializes in the province in myasthenia. And I happen to be lucky enough to have gotten into him pretty quickly because they they sort of consider my case a bit severe. In and out of the hospital in crisis three times in the space of a few months is pretty significant, I I gather, from what they're saying. So yeah, treating the physical illness is so important. Have a good endocrinologist if you've got thyroid issues. And if your family doctor is telling you you don't have thyroid issues, but you're pretty sure they've done all this stuff, you know, and and you're still not feeling well. If you have the ability to self-refer to an endocrinologist, do that because they're the ones who know. I mean, I went 20 years with getting tests and whatever. My doctor, my family doctor said I was depressed. No, I had hypothyroid. (laughs) problems. I I had all the symptoms of hypothyroidism, but, but no, that doctor didn't recognize it because they just, that's not their area of expertise. And I've got a really good rheumatologist and I've got a really good neurologist and I've got a really good neurosurgeon for my neck and spinal issues. And I've got a really good thoracic surgeon who's going to take out my thymus next month because that's the next mm-hmm. step, right? For yep. the really significant cases of myasthenia, that's what they want to do. So make sure that you're, and I can appreciate, because obviously I've been here myself, I live with chronic illness my whole life. So having the energy to advocate for yourself can be really hard and it's okay to ask for help. So if you've got friends, you can bring with you to appointments. If you've got a partner, if you've got maybe adult children, if you've got somebody who can come with you, who can take over and say, because my husband has had to do that. We're sitting in a doctor's office and, and they're asking me, how's it going? And I'm like, it's okay. And he sort of looks at me and goes, it is not okay. You're not okay. What are you even talking about? And it's just, you sort of get so used to, that's fine, you know, it, right. you know, and, and just sort of being, maybe that's a Canadian thing, being agreeable and apologizing for everything all the time. That was sort of like how we are, I guess. But yeah. So if you're noticing you're having a lack of energy to advocate for yourself, to find somebody who can help with that is okay. So physical illness, number one. Number two, diet. And so obviously with myasthenia, we can have swallowing difficulties, which makes it even more important to make sure that what we're putting into our bodies is enough nutrients, enough calories. I've had muscle wasting from the lack of mobility. And every time I go into the hospital, I lose a significant amount of weight. So making sure we're getting enough nutrition, seeing a dietitian, if you can access that. The dietitians in the hospital were absolutely incredible because on top of everything else, I'm on uh, a special diet called low FODMAP. FODMAP is an acronym Mm -hmm. for certain types of carbohydrates. And it's for people who have irritable bowel syndrome, which essentially that's basically an anxiety disorder as far as I'm concerned. Because of the way that, so our fight or flight system is our sympathetic nervous system. When our sympathetic nervous system activates, blood flow is directed away from the digestive system. And so in anxiety disorders, our our fight or flight system, that like activation anxiety system, it turns on a lot, which means our digestion gets screwed up. So when I see IBS on a chart, I think anxiety, this person probably has anxiety. So making sure that we're getting proper nutrition, 
see a dietitian if you need to, talk to your doctor. A lot of autoimmune disorders for various reasons can cause like weight gain. A lot of medications cause weight gain. And then we end up getting things like diabetes. All of these things work together. You can't separate out any part of our body. They're all connected in some way. One thing leads to another and, and making sure that we're getting proper nutrition and our brain does not work properly. A starving yeah. brain, is a body that is starving is going to mean a brain that is not going to function properly. And we need our brains. We need our brains to research this beast that has taken over our lives. We need our brains to advocate for ourselves. We need our brains to remember to take our pills. We right. need our brain. We need to make sure we're maintaining proper nutrition. Number three is, now, I be prior to getting on all these immunosuppressant medications, I enjoyed a glass of wine with dinner. But we want mm -hmm. to avoid mood-altering substances when they are used for the purpose of altering our mood. Now, I'm not talking about prescribed medications. Medical cannabis, if you can access that in your jurisdiction. Psychiatric mm -hmm. medications. These are substances we take for altering our mood, but that's prescribed by a physician. When we have a feeling, we want to avoid reaching for a drink or or another substance because we're, we can train our brain that the way we deal with stress is with a substance. And unfortunately, that can really cause significant harm in people's lives. So I'm not yeah. going to tell people not to have a drink with dinner because I wouldn't want to live like that either. Although I'm living like that now because <sighs> you're not supposed to drink when you're taking Celsept. But if we have a feeling, we want to try and deal with the feeling. We don't want to numb the feeling because feelings don't go away just because we numb them. We want to see a therapist, process your feelings. And if you're having issues with substance use, if it's getting out of hand, and I'll tell you, over COVID, I saw a humongous increase in my patient load of people who mm. were struggling with substance use, people who were coping with wine, people who were, and there, there was actually a news story probably a few months into COVID about how the Liquor Control Commission in Manitoba had seen a humongous increase in the amount of alcohol people bought. And wow. so I think it was not insignificant, the pandemic and, and how that made people stressed out. But it is really, really tempting to want to change the feeling. And substance use is a very creative, albeit sometimes harmful way to change our physiology. Feelings are biological changes. Your brain looks at a situation, it changes your body because certain feelings, they feel differently, right? They feel differently in our body. That's why we call them feelings, but they prompt certain kinds of behaviors. And so when we have strong emotions, we want to deal with those emotions or deal with the causes of those emotions, if at all possible. We don't want to mm -hmm. just numb because that's not a long-term solution. And people lose their lives over substance use. People lose their livelihoods over substance use. So although it's very tempting because it's quick, right? It, it changes almost immediately. Right. But the problem is when the substance wears off, that feeling is not gone. And you've just demonstrated to your brain that we don't use skillful behavior. We don't use tips and tricks for box breathing or things like that. We use substances. And that's uh, unfortunately takes a toll on the body. And for people with myasthenia, we got to take as good a care of this body as we can, because it is not going to thank us for it and causes no end of problems if we don't do that. Okay. So be nice to your body. After okay. substances is sleep. Anything that gets in the way of sleep is an enemy of the state. It should be actively pursued and figured out. And if people need medications for sleep, there's nothing wrong with taking, seeing a doctor and getting a pill to help you sleep because sort of like nutrition, if our brain is not getting enough sleep, it's not going to work properly. And when we start to have problems with our sleep, that affects our physical health too, because it creates stress. So hmm. make sure you're getting enough sleep. There's no like magic number of sleep that we can sort of blanket statement for everybody. Everybody needs a different amount. Probably most adults, by the time they're about 30, have figured out how much sleep they need. The amount of sleep we need changes over time. Sleep disorders are imminently treatable. Cognitive behavioral therapy interventions are actually super useful for sleep disorder. So people who don't want to add another pill to the 5,000 pills they have to take every day, there's a lot of stuff we can do. I used to work in cancer care. 
And that was like the main thing people got referred to me for was treatment of sleep disorder. So you would see me, you would do an assessment and we'd figure out exactly what's going on. We'd go over a sleep hygiene routine, you'd put it in and 90% of the time people don't even need medication to help. It's, it's the very simple uh, things can really have a huge impact. The last one is exercise, which has becomes uh, a bit of a, well, I don't know about everybody else, but just the idea of exercise, I don't know, I kind of feel like bad about myself mm-hmm. before I catch myself because it's like, what am I supposed to do? I can barely get out of bed. Well, actually, there's quite a lot. So physiotherapists, especially neuromuscular specialists in physiotherapy are so useful. So I go to physio and she helps me learn range of motion exercises and she gave me resistance bands to use. And so the physiotherapist, when I was in the hospital for my first admission, sat down with me for like an hour she's the the one on the unit and explain to me all these things. So maybe other people have noticed, but we get this like, I don't know if it's like a tremor or like a shaking kind of sensation mm-hmm. when the muscles are about to stop working. So probably a lot of people can relate to having falls. I have had a lot mm-hmm. of falls since all of this happened. And part of it is just me, um, like my brain forgets, oh yeah, like you can't just get up and walk. You can't. <laughs> so my brain's getting used to the fact that my body's not working the way that it used to six months ago. But yeah, we get this little tremor when, when sort of, I don't know how else to describe it. Have you experienced that yourself? Like, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I, I mean, my hands get shaky in my arms before they go. But, you know, I definitely have noticed before the muscles completely go out, there is a little bit of, you know, it's almost like the rest of the muscles around it are trying to compensate. So you do, you get this like instability. Yeah. I mean, I haven't had any falls, thankfully, but when my neck and everything was really weak, it would all shake and my jaw and everything would shake. It was almost like my teeth were chattering. Right. It's like vibrating. Vibrating is maybe the word. Yeah. So that is the myasthenia, right? The the Mm -hmm. neurotransmitters, the acetylcholine breaking down or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, I have an eight-year-old daughter and I was trying to figure out. So my job is is basically to explain complicated things in simple, simple terms like neuroplasticity and all these sort of concepts. Like, how do you explain this to people so that they understand? And so I've got an eight-year-old and I was trying to figure out how do I explain this? So here's what I told her. I said, it's like in my body, we have these army men that go all through your body and that's your immune system. And the army men go to attack things. But sometimes the army men get confused and they start attacking your body. So I've got these army men that attack my muscles. And that was like the best way that I could explain <laughs> to my eight-year-old, the army men are attacking mm-hmm. my muscles. So yeah, we get this like yeah. vibration. And mm-hmm. so the other thing that I thought was really useful that she told me that physio was it's not realistic unless your symptoms are in remission to have the kind of exercise plan where you're like working your way up to something. So let's say you wanted to run a marathon. You wouldn't show up on the day to run the marathon for the first time. You'd be like, I'm going to run for five kilometers. I'm going to run for six kilometers. And you build your way up to it. Building up while the symptoms are not in remission is not possible because it fluctuates day to day. We can't really have that kind of plan in mind where we're building endurance or building muscle strength. What we want to do is, she said, just do as much as you can every day. Mm-hmm. And, and that is the only thing we can do while the symptoms are not so well controlled as they're becoming more controlled as the medications start working. Cellcept obviously takes forever to work. And the prednisone is added because it works more quickly. So you get this prednisone with the idea that by the time cell sub starts working, you're going to not need prednisone anymore. But as the treatments are all starting to take hold, you want to just do as much as you can so you don't lose. Because I mentioned I've had muscle wasting in my legs. And so even when I'm going to have my thymectomy and maybe it'll throw me into remission and maybe it'll cause more problems. Who knows? It's a bit of a mixed bag that way, as far as I can tell. So 
once I'm stable because of this long period of not being able to use my body, I can't expect to just go back to normal. Like it's going to take time. I need to be patient with myself. I need to be kind to myself. We are so good at judging ourselves. But I'll tell you, we don't succeed in life because we are mean to ourselves. We succeed in life in spite of being mean to ourselves. And Mm -hmm. giving yourself a break, it's not that we're going to push away our feelings of guilt and shame around the the ways that we're impacted by myasthenia. It's that we want to acknowledge that we are having these feelings and remind ourselves, we didn't ask for this. Nobody wants this. It's not something Mm -hmm. we did wrong. It's not, we're not being punished. This is just one of those things that some people deal with. I think the meaning we make out of our journey is really important. So what kind of beliefs do you have about the things that you encounter with your life? Well, I believe that the purpose of life is to be helpful to other humans, right? Like try to improve as much as you can people's day, right? Like we're not here to be cruel. We're here to be kind. And I think we lose ourselves in that, that mission. So every I've decided, and this is just me, other people can decide other things. The meaning I make out of all of this is all the adversity I've ever faced in my life was, first of all, I've survived. Everything I've ever gone through in my life, I've survived because I'm here talking to you about mm-hmm. it now. So everything hard, even the times that I thought I was going to die because I was in so much pain or I was having so much trouble or going through surgeries or different things happening. The scariest things, you know, I thought I would die, but I didn't. I got through mm-hmm. it somehow. And every single situation I've ever gone through, including the myasthenia journey, has taught me something about myself. I've learned about the body. I've learned about systems. I've learned about like systems of access of services type of systems, but also body systems, brain systems. And I get to use that information, all of these things that I've gone through. I get to use that So that when maybe tomorrow I'm going to be talking to somebody who's going through something that sounds a little bit like something I've gone through, I can use that to understand their feelings and emotions better. And I can tell them what worked for me. And I can tell them what I think might, you know, be helpful, what they could try for themselves. That's my job. And Mm -hmm. to use that. I can get really, I could have, a lot of people do get really stuck in the terror and and the sadness and all of the the distressing emotions of this journey but we'll stay there you you can get stuck in that but it sucks it feels terrible and so to mm-hmm. move forward from that we have to figure out how we're going to do that we have to make an active choice to do that every single day every single day i've got to choose yeah. Yep, I know you feel terrible, but you're still going to get out of bed because there's people that need you and there's things that you're responsible for and you love what you do. So you got to keep doing it as much as you can. So Mm -hmm. making meaning out of this journey, mercifully, it doesn't, there doesn't seem to be a hereditary link. So it's not like I've got to make sure I understand all of this so that one day when my children experience it, there, I can help, help them too. But it's amazing. Like, I've had a lot of people in my Facebook list, for example, say, you know what? My friend has myasthenia. I know this person. Can you connect with them Mm -hmm. and help them? Like there is nothing to me that feels better than meeting a person at day one of the journey. I mean, it was just like in January this year when I got diagnosed. So I'm like six months into this journey. But what I have learned in the last six months, I can use that to help somebody so that they might not be scared of the same stuff because it's normal, right? Right. We can use this for powers of good. We we can use this. And like I said, other people might feel differently. It's not necessarily like a spiritual belief or anything. It's just like, why are we here and why are we going through this? I'm not going to throw myself into an existential crisis over it. That's not useful right. because that feels terrible. I'm going to focus my energy on as much as I can do to help myself and other people And maybe that's not the right answer, but it sure feels like the right answer when I do that. Mm -hmm. Because I can tell you, letting myself pause and be in pain, intractable mental and sometimes physical pain when my other symptoms aren't controlled, sitting there and focusing on that doesn't help me. Yeah, I mean, 
that's absolutely true. It's just one of those things that we all have to find our own ways of dealing with it and coping with it. And there's really no sense in letting it wear you down because we've made it this far and we can keep going. And no matter how bad it gets, you just have to get through it. But I think that everything that you've just, I mean, honestly, I feel like I just got my own therapy session. I feel <laughs> that was awesome. But, you know, I think all of that information is just so incredibly helpful. And it's all so true. I've touched on some of those things just in the last couple of episodes of this podcast, but it's just reiterating a lot of that information. And I think that hopefully everybody listening got a ton out of everything you just said. And honestly, your story, the way that you process everything, the way that you deal with it is just so, it's inspirational that you've been able to get this far and you have that mindset still. And genuinely, it, it's, you have an amazing attitude about it. I appreciate you sharing your story. Well, I appreciate you having me on this podcast. My life's motto has always been a smooth sea never makes a skillful sailor. If we never make mistakes, if we never go through anything, we're never going to learn anything. I learned so much more from my failures than I ever have from the successes I've had. I look at everything. I try. I try. It's not like I'm always like, oh, look, a challenge. Great. What can I learn here? That's not realistic. You got to feel those, allow yourself some permission to do your grieving and to feel those feelings that are distressing and honor your experience. But we can have, I think the thing that is the most helpful is give yourself room to have those feelings and do what you need to do to survive the crisis, right? Mm. It, it can be yeah. both. I think we can sometimes emphasize this false dichotomy between having the feelings we're having and working on problem solving to change the situation. We got to do both at the mm-hmm. same time. Absolutely. As much as we can do yeah. of both, as mm. much as we can tolerate. Yeah. Anything you can do to get yeah. through it, right? Get through yeah. it. And we can how many stories mm. have you read on the Facebook pages of people with myasthenia going through all the treatments? And mm-hmm. like, I saw this one gal, she was like climbing a, some mountain somewhere. And I was like, that's going to be mm. me. I'm going to, I'm going to, yep. I'm going to do whatever <laughs> I got to do to get back to, I mean, if she can do it, I can do it. And we're not mm-hmm. all the same, right? Snowflakes, right? That's what they, that's what we call right. ourselves. Every case is different, but whatever quality of life we're going to have, we're going to have to choose to embrace that. It's not going to, happiness doesn't happen. Happiness is simply a choice every day of what we're going to focus our energy on and where we're going to stay, what we're going to sit with and what we're going to, you know, try to move forward from it. We can do it. And there's always another side and hearing those success stories. And like you said, on the Facebook page, it's so sad when you see the people struggling, but seeing the successes are the motivation and that eventually there is another side and I love sharing those. And I honestly, with doing these interviews and everything, I hope that other people can hear the stories and hear the the struggles, but hear the successes and realize that it's not all gloomy, dark yeah. skies. There, There is hope out there. There so. is a lot. There is a lot yeah. we can do to help yeah. ourselves um, with this. Well, Michelle, I don't want to take up too much of your time. I wish we could keep going forever, <laughs> but I know you're so busy and you have other... Well, not other patients. I'm not a patient, (laughs) but I just want to, again, say thank you so much. This information, I hope everybody listening, I hope that anybody that hears this stuff will get a ton out of it. I mean, it's all so amazing. And again, I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time out of your super busy (laughs) schedule. And I know you're still not feeling 100%, (laughs) but... To take that time, I genuinely appreciate it so much. Thank you so much for having me, giving me an opportunity to be on the podcast. I think it's really amazing what you're doing. But I hope everybody listening found it useful. And and I hope you continue to do this podcast for, for a long time because we need help. We need support. We need a village, right? We need community. Yeah. And anything that builds community is, is a worthwhile endeavor. Yeah. Well, that's my goal. I want to talk to as many of us as possible. So I'm full steam ahead with this. So hopefully we can keep this going. Awesome. Again, thank you so much. And I hope that you have a great rest of your day. And maybe one day we'll get to talk to you again. So thank you so much, Michelle. So what do you guys think? I, uh, 
I'm going to give you a little bit of behind the scenes here. I recorded that with Michelle about a week ago. I think it was last Wednesday. And I just went back and re-listened to it with you guys. And I'm still just absolutely blown away at some of the information that she shared with us. I, I just think some of those points that she brought up are just so incredibly helpful for someone who might be struggling. I know for a while I struggled with my diagnosis. I struggled when I was in the hospital. I mean, I've had my ups and downs, just like I'm assuming every single one of you has had the same. And so talking to Michelle, hearing from her point of view, you know, how she might handle a patient with a disease, but not only that, you know, how she handles it herself, I just think that information is so incredibly valuable. So I know I said it at the beginning of the podcast and Michelle encouraged me to reiterate with everybody at the end, it's just such a good idea to reach out to a therapist or a counselor or a psychiatrist or, you know, anybody that you can talk to that you feel comfortable with sharing. It is always a good idea. And it just helps so much to be able to share your story and to have somebody else reiterate that it's okay to feel down. It's okay to have bad days because this is something that nobody around you can understand. Unless you happen to stumble upon somebody with MG or some other, you know, debilitating disease that you can kind of bond with, nobody else understands what we're going through. And so speaking with somebody who does that does this for a living it's just so amazing so i hope that you guys really enjoyed that you know not to take away from anybody else who who shares their story that isn't a therapist for a living but i just think that that having somebody that understands both sides is just so incredible so again thank you michelle when you listen to this uh, i hope that everybody else with me feels the same that was just so amazing for you to do we, we so appreciate it and again i've said it before but if you feel comfortable now after hearing a few other people's stories with sharing your own story please feel free to reach out to me my email is in the description of every episode so you are always welcome to send me an email we'll get you scheduled for an interview and it doesn't matter how well controlled it is now or you know what whatever your story is we'll share it because that's what this podcast is for so thank you again for listening i hope you all tune in again in a week please always stay safe with whatever you have going on this week it's a hot one at least if you're listening to this live in june it's hot no matter where you go so stay safe out there we'll talk to you again on Tuesday.